are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello there, welcome to this week's podcast. This week, just me, and I am going to talk about full recovery. I um, I get, I think, I feel like I've talked about full recovery a lot, but I still get a lot of questions about it, so I figured that, well, I'm just going to carry on talking about it. I do think that it's helpful to know what full recovery can look like. I hesitate to say should look like, because I don't think there's any shoulds. What it can look like. And I also want to clarify for some people how they, they, if they're questioning if they're there or not. Um, so for me, personally, full recovery looks like a return of the person that I was, um, not just in my eating habits, but also in just the way I operate in the world and the things that I'm interested in, many facets of my personality, a return to how I was before I had anorexia. I do consider it a luxury to have known and have had some idea of what I was like as a person before anorexia. And I also know that for many people, that's actually not the case. Some people develop anorexia so early on that they can't remember what they were like, or they were just simply not an adult. So if you developed anorexia at the age of 11 and you're recovering at the age 33, you don't know what your adult self was like. And um, I, I'm really glad that I did and I had that as a reference. But that doesn't mean that you can't fully recover without having that as a reference. You've always got to work with the circumstances that you're in. And um, for me, recovering on my own, I didn't really have anything else to go by. I just knew that... I wasn't that person anymore, which is confusing because we change. I developed anorexia at 17, so by the time I was 26, it could be feasible that this was just my adult personality. So I have all those questions going on, that's for sure. It could be feasible that my taste buds had just changed and all I really did enjoy eating was cottage cheese and salad. Despite the fact that my favourite foods when I had been a teenager were chocolate muffins and cheeseburgers and chicken burgers and pizza and chips. Maybe my taste buds have just changed. Maybe as an adult, you know, my taste buds have matured to the point where, yeah, cottage cheese and quinoa and salad tasted good. I I was doubtful that that was the case, if I was honest, but you should have tried arguing with me about that at the time. I would have swore blind that I just liked those things. Um, It's also feasible that, yes, when I was 16, 17, You would have had to drag me to the gym, kicking and screaming. It's also feasible that as an adult, I just had developed and would have naturally developed a strong um, interest in fitness. But it's just not that likely, is it? I know that people change a lot when they move from being children to adults, but oh my goodness me, every part of me changed, not just the food, but... I went from being this really laid-back, kind of fun person, quite extroverted, loved to be the life of a party, um, to just being this boring, uptight, reclusive, anxious person that even I didn't want to be around, let alone anybody else. I know that when I was 16, I really was the type of person that people wanted to invite me to be at their party. I knew why that was as well. I was a very confident 16-year-old, and I was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, And 
that didn't even just slowly diminish. It really quite quickly diminished when um, I developed anorexia. Within a couple of months, I'd gone from someone who would stay up till two in the morning drinking. Yes, we do drink at that age at 16 in the UK, so sue me, it happens. Um, stayed up all night dancing, drinking with my friends to somebody who was going to bed as early as possible so that she could get up and get to the gym when it opened at 6am. Like, that happened within a relatively short space of time. Party girl turns into gym bunny. So, it's suspicious, isn't it? I knew full well that something was up, and I was able to use that as I invested myself in recovery. I really kept reflecting back on and asking myself the question, what would the old Tabitha have done? Food choices. What would the old Tabitha have chosen? Say if I was in a restaurant looking down the menu. <laughs> it was always the thing is... <laughs> I I I guess I just I guess I just like fatty food. I guess I like food that's got high fat content because that's the food I'll always choose. And so that helped me. And also with the um activity thing. What would the old Tabitha have done? What would the old me have done? Would I be going to the gym? No, would I be going to the gym? I'd be doing something fun. I know that I was, the I certainly argued that I enjoyed going to the gym and that that was fun. I believe that I believed that when I was in that headspace. But all I know is that also before I had anorexia, I thought that people who went to the gym were sad. And I also know that now after anorexia, this is kind of the last thing that I would do on my agenda. If you said to me, Go and do something fun with your day. Going to the gym wouldn't even hit the radar. That's just not my idea of fun. So, yes, I was able to use many of the facets of my personality, especially interest, things that I enjoyed. And some of it is kind of weird because the horse thing is weird. So when I was seven years old, I, I was already completely obsessed with horses, which my parents couldn't understand because neither of them know anything about horses. And there wasn't even a horsey... Well, there was, a guess, a bit of horsey aunt, but she lived across the country. There was nobody really in my life that influenced me in that way. I just was born obsessed with horses. And by the time I was seven, I was begging for riding lessons. They finally let me have riding lessons. And that was my life. I was, I was absolutely, it wasn't just horses, animals of any kind, obsessed with animals, always with animals. Anytime that I wasn't at school, that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to be with animals. And it's still weird, but when I developed anorexia, that kind of slowly went away. Not only did I, I I'd say that my interest in just my, my empathy for animals, my, my connection with animals went away. And with that, I actually developed an irritability towards them. So, you know, like if I was at my parents' house and, and the dog was ambling down the corridor and spoiling my ability to walk really fast. I'd kind of, you know, give it a little kick. I'd give it a push out the way. I'd be angry at that dog for ambling down the corridor. That's not who I am, when I don't have anorexia, at least. And it definitely struck, I think, my parents as odd, that I went from this person, surrounded herself with animals at all times, to somebody that 
didn't even have any animals when I was living on my own. And that is something that, as I went through recovery, started to come back. One of the first things I did when I was really set on recovery and when I decided I'm not going to the gym anymore, when I went cold turkey and all of that, I got a kitten. And (laughs) after that, the animals just kept coming. And now look at me. (laughs) Anybody that follows my YouTube channel or even my Facebook page is going to know all about that. And I really am somebody who connects fantastically with animals, probably a lot better than I do with people a lot of the time. They bring out the best in me. And um, I, from my point that I am now, fully recovered, I can't even really understand that irritable person that would get mad at animals for just being there, being in my way. But I, I know it was true. I know, I know it happened. And so... There were many things to me that when I was in recovery, let's take weight out of it because a lot of people say to me, well, I'm at, uh, inverted commas, um, recovered weight. (laughs) Oh, God, I hate that concept. Anyway, so people sometimes use this, I'm at this healthy weight now to argue that they do not need to do any more work in recovery. Like, let's just take weight out of it. You know if you're the person that you were before you got sick if you've had that experience and if you haven't had that experience I always think there's some inkling of knowing there are facets of my being that don't sit right with me because even when I was irritable animals it didn't sit right with me it was like I was taking these actions towards the animals but a part of me just didn't feel like that was my natural reaction. It felt like it was some kind of stress and anxiety and irritability induced reaction. And when we're in malnutrition or when our brains think that food is scarce, it's irritable, quite rightly. So that causes us to act in a way that's not particularly natural to us. And so for those of you who say, well, I didn't know who I was before I had an eating disorder, I think that you still know who you are without your eating disorder. I think you have insights to that and you've had insights of that along the way. And I think that you have these fantasies about what life, who you would be without your eating disorder, how you would respond to certain situations, um, despite the fact that you feel that you can't be that person. And this is one of those things that I don't expect anybody who's not had an eating disorder to understand, but I think that those of you listening who are in that position, you'll know what I'm talking about. Because I've worked with plenty of people like that. I've also worked with plenty of people whom I have been able to see who they are when they don't have an eating disorder in a way that maybe other people haven't or a way that they don't necessarily often see themselves. And I often see people who have a fantastic sense of humor and who are actually really fun. But the eating disorder and the threat of social situations and food and all these things just, just makes them crumble down into being this closed up, serious, anxious person. And what happens to us in recovery is when the brain begins to understand that food is not scarce, and of course, alongside this goes nutritional rehabilitation when your body starts to feel coming out of energy deficit and when that begins to happen we often get glimpses 
of how our brain would be if it wasn't always having to think about food, if it wasn't always having to stress about food, wonder where food is going to come next, if it wasn't always having to calculate the food and movement equation. We get little glimpses of what a relaxed brain would be like and what that would start to feel like. And once you begin to get those, then you start to understand who you are going to be when you're fully recovered, because that little glimpse of that relaxed brain, that relaxed person, that little glimpse of that person that laughs a lot, that doesn't worry about things, that isn't anxious about every second, that starts to tell you who, who you're going to be when you're fully recovered. And that's exciting. And hopefully you start to want to seek that and you begin to understand that the more I allow, I stop suppressing my body weight, the more I work on the neural rewiring bit, the more I teach my brain that food is not scarce, it's actually abundant, the more my brain comes out of the scarcity mindset, the better my body feels, and therefore, the happier and more relaxed I become as a person. And take it from your brain's point of view. Your brain thinks that food is scarce because you're acting like food is scarce. And your brain knows that you need food in order to live. So that's kind of stressful, don't you think? It's a bit like if someone's like, we're going to run out of oxygen soon. You'd start to get pretty stressed. Um, and so it's no wonder that your, your kind of brain is kind of anxious and irritable and uptight and not that fun when it thinks that food is scarce. It's hard to be fun when a vital resource that you need in order to survive is in short supply. And so it's no wonder that your brain's all irritable. But I think that a lot of the time, some of us get so used to being that irritable, uptight, cranky, anxious person that we can't see anymore that we're not that person. And then you start to change things. And you get, like I said, little glimpses in recovery of sometimes a person that sort of takes you by surprise. I, I do remember the first time that somebody said something to me like, oh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was something, you know, like it was an off the cuff, you want to go out for lunch, like at, at sort of like 12.30 at lunchtime, do you want to go and grab some lunch? And I still remember the first time that I answered, yeah, sure, without even thinking about it. Like, and then suddenly I was like, whoa, what did I just say? Who was that? I didn't even feel stressed about that. It took me by surprise. And then, of course, then I jumped into feeling stressed about it, and then I had to give myself a talking to, and I did go out for lunch. But just that, yeah, why not? Let's go. Response. That Who was that from? That that was from me. That was from this relaxed, kind of laid-back, fun person who likes to go out for lunch with her friends. And just glimpses of that and understanding, like, holy crap, I just said that, and I wasn't even stressed. How did that even happen? That hasn't happened for years. Helped me understand that my brain can really change and that my responses can really change and my anxiety around food can really go away. That was exciting and I wanted more of that. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I haven't even really started recovery yet and I don't know what I was like before I have, you know, before my eating disorder. So how, how do I know? How, how, because a lot of people say to me, how do I know I'm going to like the person whom I am um, when I'm recovered? Let, let me just, you will, okay? Let's just, let's just take that one completely off the table. 
Because this is like you saying, how will I know that I don't prefer my stressed out and anxious uptight personality over my relaxed and fun one? I mean, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> You're going to like yourself a hell of a lot better, let me just tell you that. And here's the deal anyway. So you might not know who you were before you had an eating disorder. You might not know who you're going to be. I can promise you they're going to be nicer. But even with all of those things aside, what choice do you have anyway? Because your choices are like, okay, well, because I don't know who I'm going to be when I've recovered, I'm just going to stay here and be this cranky, anxious person and not even try. It's not really a choice, is it? So when I say we've got to work with the circumstances we've got, if that's your circumstances, you're just going to have to get on with it anyway. There's no point, you know, like sitting there and being like, oh, woe is me, I don't know who I was before my eating disorder. It's not an excuse to not recover. Don't know if it necessarily even makes it a heck of a lot harder. It's just more of a, think of it more of an adventure then. You don't really know what you're going to be, but it's probably going to be absolutely wonderful. So it's just like a really nice adventure at discovering your own personality. See if you can move from that always being in the place of fear which our eating disorders do to us. I don't know, so I'm not going to do it. I don't know what's in that sandwich, so I'm not going to eat it. I don't know what's in that, so I'm not going to try it. I don't know what, what we're going to have for lunch, so I'm not even going to bother going. Try and moving from that place of, I don't know, so I'm not going to do it, to a seat of curiosity. I don't know, but I'm going to go and find out. And so that's why I'm always saying to people, be brave and curious. If you can get yourself into the brain space of, I'm being brave and curious, Recovery can go from being this, oh my God, this is so awful and so scary place to being like, this is kind of fun and exciting. I'm discovering new things. And that is an attitude shift for sure. But it is one that you have the ability to control and make and do. It's always a choice to sit in the seat of fear. It might not feel like it, but I promise you it is. It's a choice. It is also a choice to say, I can feel this fear, but I'm going to decide to be brave and curious, and I'm going to do it anyway. And then, you, the, I'm not saying the fear is going to completely go away, but I am saying that that curiosity can generate excitement and ex anticipation about the future and good things, and you can start to bring in positive emotions in there. So, for an example, I think that many of us do things quite often that we're scared of, but we're also excited by I did that, um, I do that every day in my, the horses that I train and the riding that I do. There are often things that is, is arguably a relatively dangerous situation, <laughs> but I do it because I'm excited for the potential outcome. So every new horse that I work with, and I get, I get, the, I get kind of rescue cases that can be, let's just say that they may have tried plenty of other people and, and been sent back to the center, the rescue many times. So I get the horses that are often rejected for reasons. And it's always this, well, yes, apparently this horse is supposed to be dangerous. But my my curiosity, uh, but what, how could it be like? What could this horse be like? If this horse felt safe, if this horse trusted me, if this horse's actual personality, when it's not being scared, was allowed to come out, that, because I know that's in there, and I know that every horse has that in there somewhere, and every horse has the potential to be trusting, to be loving, to be wonderful. It's that curiosity and excitement that makes me continue, or motivates me to continue to do what I do working with rehabilitating horses. 
And so you, I'm sure that you can find an example like that in your life when you do something that's kind of a bit scary, but it's also really exciting. And it's always the potential that's exciting and it's motivating you to do that thing that scares you. Can you bring that into your eating disorder recovery? I bet you can. If you can take yourself out of that seat of fear just for a moment and allow yourself to be brave and curious and take on that attitude of let's just see what happens. So in short, you're going to like the person that you are when you're fully recovered. I never met anybody yet that was like, oh, I was so much nicer when I had anorexia. No, that doesn't happen. And the other point being, if you knew the person that you were before you had your eating disorder, good for you. Use that to your advantage. Pick out the good parts, for goodness sake. Don't let your brain pick out the bad parts because we could all do that, but that's not productive, is it? If you didn't know the person that you were before you had an eating disorder, recover anyway. Be brave, be curious, go and find that person. I'm sure you're going to absolutely love them. And it's really cliche, but you do only live once. And that's, that is one of the things that, there were many things I think that signaled the end of the line with anorexia for me. And there were many things that started to spur me more towards recovery. And I think that that was one of them. You live once, make it fun. Because <laughs> like, I wasn't really having any fun when I had anorexia. I might try and convince myself that I was, and I wasn't. And so then that's just such a, a wasted potential of a life, and I knew that. And I really wanted to be a fun person. I wanted to have fun. And I had to be brave and curious in order to find that person again. And I did. And I really like her. And I have a lot of fun. And that is out there for you. There's absolutely no reason why you can't fully recover. If you nutritionally rehabilitate and you do the neural rewiring, I don't care how long you've had an eating disorder, full recovery is there waiting. So get on with it. That's all. If you have any other things that you would like me to talk about, you can email me at info, I-N-F-O, at tabithaferrar.com. Cheers, and until next time. Cheerio.